All right, Exodus chapter 31. Dun, 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 dun. Matt completely messed me up this morning in the middle of conversation. He looks at me and goes, so Exodus today? And I'm like, why? Is that a bad thing? I'm confused. See, this, who was talking this morning about not getting humor all the time? Lou mentioned that in Sunday school. Yeah, that was me. He was making a joke, and I was like, are we serious? Are we upset by that? What's going on? <laughs> I feel the pain. Again, when I point out, you know, when we, when we joke about Connor not getting jokes and being literal, I know where he gets all of it from, and I just apologize to my wife and move on. So, in Exodus 31, we are done with construction. Yay! Well, well for a while. We've been given the instructions on construction. Later on in Exodus, we actually have to, you know, build the stuff. But that will be then. In the meantime, no more construction. We'll actually get some narrative stuff next week for all of you who are just wanting the story to continue. But... We have a very, 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 very important question that we have to ask. God has handed down all of these specific instructions. I mean, to the measurement, to the color, to all of these things. Now, fun little question. Who wants to build it? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. For those of you that don't get that reference, you're probably better off in the 1980s than I was. So... Luckily for Israel and for us, this is not being left to volunteers. There's going to be a draft. Go team! Right now, nobody wants. God has always been about the work of drafting humanity, and here's why. Read your Bible, but imagine for a minute, so turning into the twilight zone, imagine if you will, isn't that how that used to always start? Why do I look at you assuming that you would have watched The Twilight Zone? That just seems like a natural assumption that Vern watches the Vern watched and enjoyed The Twilight Zone. I was right though, wasn't I? I was right. Again, my amateur sociologist at work here. Imagine your Bible, but God not drafting sinful people and commissioning them for work, but instead waiting for holy volunteers. What would we have accomplished from the very beginning? I mean, Noah was drafted. Abraham was drafted. Joseph, drafted by being thrown into a well and sold into slavery. Yay! Um, All of the prophets, how many of them were standing at the base of the mountain going, God, God, send me to the wicked kings of Israel so they can spit on me and insult me and kill me? No, they were all drafted. David, David's out minding his business with the sheep when Samuel comes rolling in town going, I'm looking for the guy who's going to be king. He was drafted. Paul. Paul's riding along. That, that always bugs me. There's, one, there's, there's your list. Thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools, I will, give this, I will give you this burden as well. Was he on the horse or was he walking next to it? See, these are, these are the things that I have to know. Like when the light came down, did it blind him and knock him off the horse or did he just not be able to walk anymore? See, I, these are the things that I wonder about. Um, Paul, drafted. Peter, drafted. All of these New Testament, quote-unquote, heroes, drafted. Move forward, we'll quote the great prophet Edwin McCain. You and me and all of the people. Nobody knows that song? Becca knows that song. Another child of the 90s knows that song. Go team. If you don't know who Edwin McCain is, you were doing better in the 1990s than I was once again. (sighs) You people disgust me with your pop culture references. (laughs) Sorry. No. This is how God has worked. This is how he is working. Now, why does that matter? One, it's good news for you because it means that God working through you is not dependent upon you. It also means that God's work of choosing 
people to work through is not dependent upon you who you are, what you're capable of, and where you're from. And that is part of the example that we will get today. We are going to uh, read through Exodus 31. Um, just because it feels wrong without the, with, the, with the information the way we've been doing it, we'll just read through it as we go first shot like we've been because otherwise it kind of ruins all the fun, right? So <laughs> either way, verse 1, let's just dive right in and go from there. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, we're already going to have a timeout because just in case you have forgotten where all of this information has been coming from, the instructions on the tabernacle, the instructions on the tent, the instructions for the altar, the instructions for the ark, the instructions for who the priests are, the instructions for what the priests will wear, the instructions for how the priests will be sanctified, the instructions for what the priests will do. All of this has come from God. Not like halfway through we switched and Moses was talking to himself. This has been God speaking the entire time, which is very, very important. This is the standard your New Testament will build upon, 2 Peter chapter 1. We have the prophetic word made more certain, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Exactly. Something agreed with me. Somebody's phone agreed with me anyway. <laughs> exactly. This is important. When you are reading your Bible, this is why I'm always telling you, read your Bible. You See, there you go. Make sure you're paying attention. Okay, let's just cover this. We haven't said this in a while. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. And what's the other rule? Do okay, just making sure we've, we understand the rules. Don't do dumb things. One of these days, I'm getting that on a t-shirt, just so you know. I'm going to come in here on a Sunday morning with a hoodie. It says, don't do dumb things. It's going to be a picture of a guy smacking himself in the head with a book like Monty Python. So probably should do that before someone else makes a lot of money on that idea. <laughs> My wife is in the back nodding her head like, yes, people will buy that. Hmm. Yeah, well, not yet. It won't be on YouTube until tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> it will be, though, so I got to do it before then. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody watches. Nobody's listening. <laughs> That's part of the fun here. What was I talking about? I ask, why is it important for you to read your Bible? Because in it are contained the words of God for your instruction, for your walking in holiness in this world. Without that, whose ideas are you following? Yours. What do we know about us? We are not good at this. Again, if God is waiting around for holy people to volunteer unto his service, what are we going to be waiting for? Yes, we, are, we will be waiting until the end of time. Instead, it is God who changes hearts and minds, God who commissions for service, and God who empowers and provides information by which you are guided. In Israel, that was the books of Moses. That's why the king was supposed to write that out for himself every year, or write it out for himself at the beginning of his reign, and then read it every year to be reminded of the standard by which he should be ruling. That is what the prophets were doing. This is the ministry of Christ. Notice how much of Christ's ministry is an expansion and pointing back to the Old Testament. Notice how much of the letters of Paul, Peter, and James are expositions, expounding on the teachings of both Christ and the prophets and the law. They are taking what God has commanded, what God has been written, and aided by the Holy Spirit are then encoding how you put that into practice. Which is again why I said, you ever sit down in a service and go, well, we read the verse this morning, we're done, don't need that Bible anymore for the rest of the day. Don't go back! 
don't go back. I have sat through that church service. It's miserable. You know what I didn't do? I didn't go back. I didn't go back. I've been in this position. We church hopped for a year. It was miserable. Could you imagine, like, imagine how fun it is to church hop in general. Now do it with me. Pray for my wife. <laughs> These are the things she had to deal with in this world. I mean, can you imagine as critical as I am and as, as the standard that I'm going to set? And, and I'm like, we read our Bible like one time, and then we put it away. I'm not coming back here. You people are out of your mind. Don't talk to me as I run out the door. That's why I always, for those of you that sit in the back and then like sneak out really fast, I understand. I am that guy at church. I sit in the back, and like as soon as the last song starts, you start sneaking back by the ushers to see if you can get out before anybody speaks to you. I, I, I understand your pain. I, I, I get it. Why does all of this matter? Because when we lose the foundation, when we lose scripture, we have nothing else upon which we can stand. We have nothing else that's actually given to us that is, thus says the Lord. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Always remember that. So let's, let's dive in. See, I have called by name Bezalel. Great name if you're looking for kids, grandkids. There's how you spell it. There will be no one else in kindergarten five years from now with the name Bezalel. You can call him Bez for short. That's, that's, that's cool, right? We can go with that. All right. There you go. I have called Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Now, this is fun. Who remembers Hur? That's H-U-R, not H-E-R, just in case we're confused. Hur is a dude. Anybody remember who Hur is? All right. Exodus 17. So you got to rewind. Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held up his hand, or held his hands up, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under, under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one side and on the other, thus his hands were steady until the sun set, so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Hur is part of that inner circle. It's Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Hur. Moses has gone up the mountain. Who's gone with him most of the way? No, Joshua, son of Nun. Always remember this, Joshua, son of Nun. That's how you always remember his name. He has gone up with. So what do we do? Exodus 24, Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But the elders, to the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return to you. Behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Hur in Israel is kind of a big deal. I know I'm getting tired of saying this name already. Just confuses my mind. He's kind of a big deal. He's one of the judging elders of Israel. You got a problem? Moses isn't around. Who do we go to? We'll go to Aaron. Well, there's a long line of people to see Aaron. What do we do? Well, there's, there's a less of a line to go see her. Go see her. He's a good guy. He knows what's going on. Bezalel is his grandson. Her is the great, great, no, her is the great grandson of Judah. So Bezalel is the great, great grandson of Judah. You'll have to read Second Chronicle or First Chronicles 2. It'll make sense to you then. I have a better question though. If Hur is such an important guy, that just sounds weird to say. It is 2021. Is that not the most 2021 sentence you can possibly utter without understanding the spelling? My brain is so confused right now. If he is so important, why not gift him for the service? Why his grandson? Like, not even Yuri, Uri, however you want to say it. Why Bezalel? 
he doesn't need to be around longer. We've got to make a tabernacle. We've got to make an altar. It's not like it's going to take 27 years to build this stuff. We're going to do this in like a couple of weeks. Anybody could be doing this. Why Bezalel? And the answer is lessons for moving forward in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Her in Israel is not going to do everything. Because no one in Israel is going to do everything. Just like no one in the kingdom is going to do everything. I know this will come as a shock to you. I don't have all the spiritual gifts. Don't laugh. I saw smirks. It's okay. Neither do you. Welcome to why the Holy Spirit builds a community of faith. Some people are administrators. Some people pray, some people work, some people give, some people do all of these things. We need all of it, not some of it, all of it. This is why church is vital. This is why all last year you saw good churches telling people what? Don't stay home if you don't have to, because at some point we what? We need you and you need us. I mean... We need each other in how we walk, live, and serve in the kingdom because we can't do it all as one person. This is why Christianity has never been a solitary religion. It has always been a communal religion. We go and gather with believers in worship because in that setting, we are strengthened, we encourage one another. Look, how many times have you come to church with a problem and somebody other than me has given you advice? Quite a few for some of you. And you know when I see that, you know what I do? I don't get in the way. Because God has sent you to that person. That's why we're all here. You, and look, there have been times when somebody comes to me with a problem and go, you know, I don't necessarily have the best advice for that. But you know what I do know? I know somebody who does. Somebody who's walked that road. Like, I can tell you what it is. I can tell you what the answer is. But if I haven't walked down the road and I know somebody who has, now you can see, you can hear it from me and you can hear it from them. And then they can tell you how it worked and what didn't work and how to walk down the road. This is what a community is about. That's what's being taught to Israel already. Moses isn't going to come down the mountain and make this stuff. He's not going to come down the mountain and go, all right, Aaron, you grab the other elders and get to work. No, we're picking somebody's grandson. Might be a great guy. I have no idea. Don't really care. What I do get to see is that God at work, not just in multiple people, but in multiple generations. It's not just the elders of Israel, it's their kids and their grandkids. In other words, the faithful God who has not forsaken them thus far will not forsake them as they travel farther along. So, I have, this is about Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, in the cutting of stones for settings, and the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. This is the next thing. This connects to what we saw with both Aaron and Hur on the mountain against Amalek, holding Moses' arms up. It's like, why couldn't Moses just keep his arms up? Like, how hard is that? Sit in the stone and keep your stupid arms in the air so we don't die. And yet, what happens if you're stuck here long enough? Because Moses may be willing to keep his arms up, but what you, the mind is willing, but the body is weak. So we need help. We need means. God teaching. The same lesson as Moses stretches out his hand over the Red Sea. 
God doesn't need Moses to stretch out his hand, but he commands him to. Same lesson going on here. God is working for his people, but he is also working through his people. Christian, easiest question I'm going to ask you all morning. You ready? What's changed? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again. Go to the later part of the chapter. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Suddenly I'm getting Lord of the Rings flashbacks. Like, if you ever wonder, like, how did Sauron know? I mean, all he can do is see stuff. Anyway. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Depending on where I am on that day, maybe gone, and that's a good thing. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You want a great example of that? Anybody ever broken their pinky toe? You had to learn how to walk again, didn't you? I've, had, I've known a few friends of mine that have broken their pinky toe. Imagine how useless your pinky toe feels on the average day. It exists for one reason and one reason only. For you to smack it on a coffee table when you don't have shoes on. You ever notice that's the one you hit and it hurts? Yeah, or the ends of the bed, right, exactly. Ask Debbie after the service. You break that thing, you can't stand upright. It doesn't work. Your whole body is thrown out of whack. Think about it. It's like... Break that bone and you will not walk properly until it is perfectly healed. And you're not the first, the reason I ask that is you're not the first person I've known who's done that. You break that thing and it's just, yeah. One of the most useless things about your body, try functioning for any length of time without it or with it injured and you'll realize just how important it actually is. Those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. There's no better than or less than in the kingdom. There are just different jobs. Again, read your lists. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, um, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. Those are your spiritual gifts lists, and they're probably not exhaustive. You'll see administrating. You'll see praying. You'll see serving. I mean, you'll see giving. You'll see comforting. You'll see all sorts of things. Look, I, I go through this every time one of my kids gets injured. You know who the comforter is not in my house? Me. When the children come running into the room screaming that they have hurt themselves, you know what the first question I ask is? What did you do? Well, my wife's first question is, are you okay? I don't care if they're okay. They're screaming. They're obviously okay. <laughs> There's no blood. Nothing's hanging off of them. They're fine. What did you break? That, the, welcome to my house. There you go. I'm not the comforter, and I'm okay with that. Doesn't mean I'm evil. We've got this worked down to a science. Cameron holds them and I interrogate. <laughs> it's Cameron's job to calm them down and once they're not screaming and crying, I can get to the bottom of things. Answers must be found. And I say that mostly joking, but this works. Now, if Cameron's not around, it's very difficult on me. You know why? Because now I've got to calm you down and, while fighting the urge within myself to do what? 
what did you do? No, 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 calm you down. No, don't ask. And likewise, Cameron will tell me something happened. I'm like, well, how did that happen? She goes, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? She didn't ask because she's, or people will come to me and tell me part of a story and then I'll, you know, I'll relay part of it to Cameron and Cameron goes, well, what about this? I didn't ask. What about that? I didn't ask. I, I didn't think to ask that. I just, I didn't ask. I don't, I don't think in that manner. Thank God he has put us together because then Cameron calls and asks all the things that I was too stupid to ask because I don't think about it because I'm not that involved in people's lives. You're looking at your wives like, see, I'm not crazy. <laughs> Christian. It's a small little picture of what the church looks like. You come in and some of us are problem solvers. Some of us are comforters. Some of us are advisors. Some of us can fix certain problems. Some of us can fix other problems. But working together, we do what? We accomplish all things for God's glory and for the good of his kingdom. Not because I did it, I'm good. No, because God gave me this gifting for this situation and that situation, he's given you that gifting and you supported me here and I'll support you there and by his grace and mercy, we will do what? We'll persevere and accomplish the works of his kingdom. Israel is seeing that. We're not coming down the mountain going, all right guys, here's what we gotta do. I got this tabernacle. All right, I can, I can build a table. Okay, but you gotta build it exactly, oh, I'm not that good. Like, that, that's me. Like, I can do some maintenance on a car. There are certain things when it gets to a certain place, you know what I'm doing? Call the mechanic. Call somebody. I can't, I'm not, I'm not even, I know when I'm in over my head. When it comes to repairing things at the house, I know when I'm in over my head. Israel's not going to be put over their head because God has told them, no, we're not leaving this to chance. We're not letting you figure this out. We're showing you how the kingdom of God's people is going to work. And it's going to work because God has empowered it. Now, Fun thing, what is going to pre- prevent Bezalel from sitting in camp going, I don't want to paint. I don't want to make pretty designs out of gold and bronze. I want to do paperwork. I know your grandkids have never said that, but what is going to prevent that from happening? How? Holy Spirit at work. Christian? Who made you the one who can comfort? Who made you the one who can organize? Who made you the one who can serve? Who made you the one who can pray? Who made you the one who can give? Same spirit. This will be confirmed because God's spirit will confirm it. And he will usher it in and he will bring it to completion. This is your Isaiah 46 in action. I have said, so it shall be done. This is what is going on. God will accomplish this because God will accomplish the works of his kingdom through his people. Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to you who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Here's an example. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Notice how Paul links that. That's New Testament and Old Testament. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of both New Testament and Old Testament. In whom the whole building, that's us, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In other words, who's going to do all that? Notice who gets the credit for all of that work. When we say you are being built up into a holy temple, there's work being done there, right? There's prayers being offered. There's ministry being done. There's gifts being given. There are things being accomplished. Who's getting the credit? God. Why? Because who's the one who's empowered all of those things? God. Why? 
because he will be all in all. Now, fun lesson coming up, and here we go. Behold, I myself has appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. I worked on that all week so I could say those without stuttering, and I finally got one right. Yes! Now, we made a big deal out of Bezalel, grandson of Hur, great-grandson of Judah. That's kind of a big deal in the family line, right? So who's Aholiab, son of Ahissamach? I had the first clue. I looked it up. He's got five total mentions in the Old Testament. Aholiab is mentioned five times. They are all in the book of Exodus. Ahissamach is mentioned three times. The only time he's ever mentioned is as father of Aholiab. Now, Dan we know a little bit about. Go back to Genesis 49 with uh, Jacob's promises and prophecy over the tribes. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way. All right. Poetic language warning. Do you want to be described as a snake in any shape, form, or fashion? Yeah, that's, that's never a good description in poetry. Never. Not even a little bit. A horned snake in the path. That's even worse. That bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backward. That's even worse. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. Such fun there for Dan. Now, why do I point that out? Because you actually see the fulfillment of that in the tribe of Dan in the promised land. Who knows the most famous judge of the tribe of Dan? There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And you shall name him Samson. Samson was the judge, judge from the tribe of Dan. So he judged Israel. Samson a good guy? <laughs> For those of you that know the story well, you want your sons to grow up to be like Samson? Do you want your daughters to grow up to marry a guy like Samson? Not typically. No, you'd be like, no, no, let's stay far away from that. Other fun note on the tribe of Dan, they abandoned their inheritance. So when Israel conquers the land, you get to the second half of the book of Joshua that nobody reads. It's okay, I'm not judging you. They, they apportion the land. Dan's inheritance is actually just to the north and west of Judah. Now, when they finally settle the land, where does Dan end up? All the way to the north. Why? Because they couldn't drive the people of the land out of their inheritance, so they gave up. They gave up and went someplace else and figured, well, this is an easier land to conquer. And they went in like genocidal maniacs and wiped everybody out. And, and Dan doesn't get a lovely history. Now, I tell you all of that because this is not going to be a tribe of great repute in Israel. Up until now, even with the prophecy from Jacob, it has not been a tribe of great repute. And Aholiab is literally a dude that we know less than nothing about. We know his name, his dad, and his tribe. So why is he getting this gifting? Like Bezalel made sense. It's grandson of her. It's a noble family from the tribe of Judah, the, the family that will rule in Israel. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs, has arisen. Well, it gets worse. In the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. 
the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat upon it, all the furniture of the tent, the table also and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering also with all its utensils, the laver and its stand, the woven garments as well, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons with which to carry on the priesthood, the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. This is why I said, we weren't going to make a big deal about Bezalel because he's not going to do this by himself. This isn't going to take weeks. It's Bezalel overseeing. Aholiab is his deputy. And uh, go back to verse 6 real quick. Can we click on 6? Can we, do we have the technology? We don't have the technology. <laughs> it doesn't want to work. I have appointed Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. We're going to do this in like a weekend. We are knocking this thing. We ain't got time to sit around in the desert for 27 years while they make this. We have worship to engage in. We have tabernacles to build, which means we need people. What do you now know about the people? Like we knew, at least we know Aholiab's name, his dad, and his tribe. What about the rest of the workers? Nothing. Nothing. So we got one famous guy, one not famous guy, and a whole bunch of people who are lost to eternity. John chapter 3. There arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with, the Jew, with a Jew about purification. They came to John, this is John the Baptist, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, that's Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the friend of the groom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. What's this about? What's the tabernacle about? God in his worship. What are the priests about? God in his worship. What are the vestments about? Bringing the names of the people. Bringing the sacrifice before God. The curtains are about God. The altar is about God. The doorway is about God. The incense is about God, teaching us who he is, what he's doing. In other words, it's not about them. Countless workers, laboring, skillful guys. I mean, go back and reread the descriptions on the detail work and the carving into the gold and realize that they're not doing this with electronics. Like when we carve something like, um, we, uh, who made those? Daryl made you one, one of those wooden plaques. Yeah, you, you plug it into the computer, it plots it into the, you put the board down in the, in the little thing, and it moves through and it carves it out. We do this in metal, we do this in wood. They did this, little hammers, you know, like little elves, you know, at Christmas time. Ding, 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 sorry, that was, that was uncalled for. <laughs> but it puts it into your brain, doesn't it? You suddenly picture little Israelites with hats on, didn't you? <laughs> They're carving. I mean, think about hammering out a plate to where it is smooth by hand and then carving in it by hand, working through it. These guys are good. This isn't like me turning my kids loose with crayons and going, all right, guys, make us something pretty. And we go, oh, look, they did such a good job. We say that because they're 10. If they were 30, we wouldn't be patting them head and going, we'll put that on the fridge. Because you're an adult. You can do better than that. Work harder. These guys are doing beautiful, ornate work. And we have no idea who they are. 
Who does know who they are? And that's the thing that matters. Exactly. They don't have to be known to us. It doesn't matter if we celebrate them. It matters if they celebrate God. Christian, welcome to Comfort in Your World. We have built an entire pagan society, and I'm talking about our world in general. Look, we we live in a basically pagan society. It is not functioning according to any godly principles any longer. And even when it was, I could make the argument that it was a veneer. And anyway, I'm not going down that road right now. Everybody's searching after what? I want my 15 minutes. And it's so ubiquitous in this culture that when I say people want their 15 minutes, you automatically know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. I... Because that's the end-all, be-all. We put athletes and movie stars on cereal boxes and we celebrate what the culture wants because we think that's the end-all, be-all. We care what the neighbors think. How many times have you not said something simply because what someone else might think of you? Not because of what you said was good or right or because it was bad or evil and you shouldn't have said it. You didn't say it simply because what might they think? Why do we live like that? Because we've replaced the better thing. We want to be known by our neighbors and we want to be known to the world. We should want to be known to God. It doesn't matter what the world thinks when God says I'm clean. It doesn't matter what the world thinks when God says I'm holy. It doesn't matter what the world thinks when God says I am accepted in his sight. The world should matter less when Christ matters more. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building." Same lesson, right? Same lesson for Paul in the church. We're proclaiming the truth of God so that God be praised, so that his kingdom be built. Doesn't matter if you heard it from Paul. Doesn't matter if you heard it from Peter. Doesn't matter if you heard it from Apollos. Doesn't matter if you heard it from one of the faithful pastors down through the ages that no one has ever heard of. I've told you guys this story before. It's my favorite story in regards to this lesson. Um, First Baptist Church of Stoneville in Stoneville, North Carolina has this bell tower that they built in a brick walkway. And you can, for at the time, I don't know what it is now, it was 50 bucks at the time, you can get names or whatever, a short little message etched onto one of the bricks. And one of the things they splurged for is they etched the names of all the pastors of the church into a brick, and they have them in the line with the years. I keep threatening one year, I'm going to go steal my brick, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I need to replace it with something, but you know, I, I, I just can't be that motivated. My favorite name in the whole list is Reverend Davis, who was pastor of the church from 1902 to 1903. And the reason he's my favorite is because that's all it says. Reverend Davis, 1902 to 1903. I got the little church history, which is like five pages and a little felder. And, I'm like, and they list all the things about the church and all the people that were there and who did what. And it's like, and Reverend Davis was the pastor from 1902 to 1903. Dude doesn't even have a first name. So I asked. We still have 90, 80, 90-year-old people in the church who just about remember Reverend Davis because this was like early 2010s. You know anything about him? No, no, I don't. Where'd he come from? I don't know. Where'd he go? I don't know. What was his name? I don't know. I love that guy. He is my favorite person on the planet. You know why? Because 200 years from now, no matter what I do, I'm going to be that guy. And you're going to be that guy. When's the last time you sat around thinking about your great-great-grandparents? 
I mean, you tell stories about them? Tell them to your kids? Probably not. <laughs> See, and that's what makes you weird, and that's why we love you. <laughs> what does this matter? Because there's coming a point where this world is passing away, and that's why you can't live for it, because they don't know, and they don't care, and they never will care, but God cares. How do I know God has cared? Look at the detail. Look at the effort that has gone into. Christian, how do we know that he's cared? Look at the detail. Look at the effort that he has gone to to redeem you, to bring you into a kingdom, to construct his eternal people. That matters, not because of what this world says, but because of what God has done. We matter not because of what we've done here, but because of what he has done for us in eternity. So verse 12, I'm going to jump around. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Notice the emphasis here. We made this mention when we went through the Ten Commandments, so I will rehash it slightly here now. The Sabbath is not about taking a nap, okay? The Sabbath is not about physical rest. Becca's like, what do you mean? <laughs> We're Baptists and it's Sunday. <laughs> Isn't that written on a stone tablet somewhere? <laughs> no, no, it's not. There are days that I wish it was. The Sabbath was never about a physical rest, Notice the emphasis here, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who cleanses you, who cleans you and makes you righteous. 1 Timothy chapter 4, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. If you're an old woman, then we're not talking about you, we're talking about the ones who gossip, okay? On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men. In other words, discipline yourself to serve, not to be served. Discipline yourself for eternity, not tomorrow. That's the goal of living. I am faithful now because in my faithfulness now, I am not working for now. I am working for God's eternal kingdom. My joy is set on high. My joy is where Christ is. And when that kingdom, when Christ's work is revealed, then my joy is made complete. Then I rest from my labors because until that point, I am working in service to God and not myself. It has been and always will be about not physical rest, but spiritual rest. First Peter 1. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am am holy. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 
I'm the one who makes you holy. As you abide in me, as you are faithful in me, as you walk not according to the path of this world, you are being sanctified. You are being made holy. You are being fit for rest in God, not rest here. Every time you're trying to find your rest in this world, your rest in the things of this world, your rest in the people of this world, you are not walking in his ways. You are walking in the world's ways. They don't care. They don't. And they can't. Because they care about themselves. That's their idolatry. That's the paganism. Come to roost. God cares. How do I know God's cared? I reminded you. How do we know what to do? He's told us. What will it accomplish? I am the Lord who sanctifies you. By serving now. Following in whatever pathway he has laid down for me. Now. Walking to whatever gifting he has given me. Now. I rightly follow after who he is and what he is building. And what is he building? He is building eternity. This world can't build that. This world is building brick and wood, untestable in the fires that are to come. But he is building an eternal kingdom that will withstand all things. Verse 14, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. See, when you understand what we just talked about, this makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? This isn't, you did work on the day off. Ah, pick up the heavy rocks. Yeah. No, you have forsaken the God who has saved us. You have forsaken the sanctification that he has provided for us. You have corrupted the kingdom of priests that this Lord has made, and you are leading us astray into damnation. Is that worthy of a fight? I would hope so. If something's worth about fighting, a worthy fighting over, it should be that, right? That's why this commandment is given. You only get two options. You persevere or you perish. That, I mean, that's the world. You will either persevere to the end and enter into eternity or you will perish along the way and face judgment. There's not a third option. It's not like you went limping along and be like, no, no, I didn't quite make it to the end, but I didn't end up in the fires. I'll just stay here on the road and wait. I'm good, I'm good. Yep, there's eternity, there's hell. No, I'll just, I'm, I'm good right here. This doesn't exist. It, it's not there. You're either in the kingdom or you're out. First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, how do I love his appearing? Because I prepared for it. How? By walking in faithfulness now. And again, remember this lesson, Christian. I'm only walking in faithfulness because the Holy Spirit who has gifted me is strengthening me for that work. He is only doing that because I have trusted in Christ for the, in the repentance of my sins. He has redeemed me and declared me good. What God has declared good will not be bad. This is why you persevere. Not because you're good, but because He is good. And He has declared you good, therefore, guess what you now are? Good. But I don't feel very good most days. <laughs> I, I knew you were thinking it. That's why I figured I'd just go ahead and say it. Congratulations. That's sanctification. You aren't actually good, but in eternity I am. 
God has declared me good and he was making me good. There's, that is why I'm walking. How do I know I'm getting there? Because I'm warring and I'm being faithful when? Now. I can't be faithful 20 minutes from now. You know why? Because 20 minutes from now doesn't exist, okay? 1980s movies lied to us, people. We can't go forward. We can't go back. I can't go undo the stupid things I've done before. Lord knows there are days that I wish I could. You, you, you feel my pain on that one. I can't be faithful 10 years from now. I can't get there. I can be here. I can evaluate, train myself, and prepare myself now and be faithful now. And here's the beauty of it. By doing that, guess what's going to happen in 10 years? I'll be faithful then because I'm really being faithful now. And when I get there, it'll be now. Who's confused? (laughs) It's like a paradox. This is the beauty of how we live, is God's not telling you. Look, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow takes care of itself, Matthew 6. Worry about today because today I can do something. Tomorrow I can't do anything because tomorrow never actually gets here. So I serve faithfully according to the work of the Spirit, how he has gifted me, how he has prepared me, and for where I am going. Why am I going that way? Because the Spirit is pointing me in the right direction. So let's summarize 15. Six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Worship is what this is about now. And worship is what? What is the purpose of worship? Praise God. Praise God. It's a celebration. It's a party, as the great prophet Sinbad once said. Did you remember that? It's a party. Okay. You guys got to watch more Sinbad. No, no, I did not say that. Don't watch more Sinbad. He probably won't do you good, although I've got 27 Sinbad jokes in my head right now because I was a pagan child in the 80s and 90s, and that's not your fault. You should not be cursed with that. Worship is supposed to be a celebration. Believe it or not, as dour as we are most mornings, this is a party. Why do you think I'm like I am? We are celebrating the work that God has done, the work that God is doing, and the work that God has promised to do. Find me a better thing. I mean, seriously. We celebrate a whole lot less. And if you don't believe me, you should have been watching TV yesterday. So a whole lot of people celebrating a whole lot of things because I'm a football fan. Sorry. Watching games with 80, 90, 100,000 people in stadiums. And it's life or death over a game. It would be the same thing today. (laughs) College is a little different emotion, though. That's why I like it. That's why I enjoy it. Ask Vern. Vern was living and dying yesterday with Iowa, Iowa State there. But again, we can celebrate a lot of things because we're made to celebrate. What are we made to celebrate, Christian? God and his work. God and his accomplishment. This is to be a celebration of who God is, what he has done. What has he done? He's redeemed us. He has gifted us. He has empowered us. He has secured us. And he is accomplishing the works of his kingdom through us. And not because we went running up and go, pick me, pick me, I want in, I want in, I'm there. No. He went, you are mine. For you I have died for you will be redeemed. You will be sanctified because God is good 
and his kingdom will last, and it will be full of the people that he has saved, that he has declared good. When he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Cool. Why do we need tablets? <laughs> there you go. Now, I've, I've asked you this before. See, I, Moses, we always picture this. Anytime you see the Ten Commandments, like you do a Google search for images of Ten Commandments, what are you going to see? It's like one through five on one tablet and then six through ten on the other. No. No. One through ten on one tablet, one through ten on the other tablet. One tablet's going where? Into the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant. Who's going to see that? Seriously, once we put it in the Ark of the Covenant, until the Nazis in front of Indiana Jones open it up, who's going to see that? God's going to see it. That's God's copy of the covenant. The other copy is supposed to go in the tabernacle, later on in the temple where people are supposed to be able to see it. Supposed to be reminded that, oh yeah, there's a God who has done this, and this is what he calls us to. That's why this matters. There are tablets because it is God's way of reminding both you and himself. Now, does God need to be reminded? No. Do you? Yeah. Christian, isn't there some comfort in the fact that God actually, for your benefit, reminds himself of these things for you? Because there should be. There should be. When we come together, worship is supposed to be a celebration. We're supposed to sing songs that praise God. We're supposed to offer up prayers that praise God. We're supposed to teach scripture in a way that honors, explains, and praises God. Seems like communion's an awful lot about us, isn't it? We're reminded of the work that God has done. We're reminded of the work that he's doing. And we're reminded of the work that he's going to do. That's commanded though. Which means it's about what? Praising God. See, we praise God when we proclaim his excellencies and his works past. We praise God when we are reminded and extol the work that he is doing in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And we are praising God when we are proclaiming the promises that he has yet to fulfill in faith, knowing that he will. Israel living their lives knowing that in that tabernacle there is a tablet that reminds God that they are his people is so that Israel will praise who? God. When we partake communion, it's not, oh, I'm so glad I remember the work that God has done. It is, God, I am so glad about the work that you have done. It's not about me, it's about him. Always has been, always will be. This is why we can pick famous people to do the work. This is why we can pick nobodies and have no idea who they are to do the work. Because it doesn't matter who they are. It matters who the God behind them who is empowered. This is why, Christian, it doesn't matter if you're famous. It doesn't matter if the neighbors love you. It doesn't matter if the world knows your name. It matters if you're faithful. It matters if you're trusting. It matters if you're working and living for God now, according to who he is, who he has made you, and how he has gifted you. That's always the best part. Lesson I learned a long time ago. My favorite thing to look at is if you ever see, this is becoming a little harder to do now, but if you ever look at, um, I guess the age group now would be the pastors that are kind of in that late 60s to early 80s age. So rewind in your brain, you know, when you used to see the middle-aged guys preaching 20, 30 years ago. 
Did you ever notice that they all kind of had that same mode? They were like, they like this. They're on the platform, right? And they got that hand right here. And then what happens? As they start making the point, what happens to that hand? Sir. You know why they all did that, don't you? One, they were taught it in preaching class. But you know why they were taught that in preaching class? Billy Graham did it. Go watch an old Billy Graham crusade from the 70s. You get that Bible in the hand going and he's... Because we all want to be like who? We all want to be like the guy who looks like he's doing it the right way. Did you ever go home? Okay, guys. Guys my age and slightly over. Did you ever go home and practice Will Chamberlain's jump shot? No, because it's terrible. <laughs> For a while, he was doing the granny shot on free throws. You practice a guy who was good. Like, here's, one for, here's a good one from the 80s. No one, no one I grew up with ever grew up and be like, I want to be Steve Sachs when I grow up. He was a second baseman for the Dodgers and the Yankees because he was terrible. I mean, for, I mean, he was a decent player on the team, but nobody's like, I want to grow up and be Steve Sachs. No, I want to grow up and be Don Mattingly. I want to grow up to be, when I was a kid, I want to grow up and be Keith Hernandez. I want to be Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden. I want to be like, because they're good. And I learned how to throw watching them. To this day, I can still mimic all the deliveries that I copied. Why? Because I thought it was cool and I thought it was important. Dave Kingman. <laughs> if you're a slow-pitch softball player, you wanted to be Dave Kingman. See, we follow all of these things because we think they're good. Christian, the one who's good is God. We don't follow the world's ideas because they lead to destruction. We're supposed to be following His. Likewise, when people follow me, I want them to follow me not in the paths of the world, but in the paths of Christ. I want them to follow me in the paths that lead to life, in the paths that show me faithful. Which means when I find myself unfaithful, and Lord knows I'm going to find me and you're going to find you unfaithful one of these times. And we're reminded that God's grace and mercy is good and that I can bring this to the foot of the cross and by his mercy I am clean. And you know what I can now do? I can now go to war against that recognizing that as long as I continue the fight, as long as I continue to operate by the power of his spirit, that I will get to the end and be unblemished because that is what he's been promising from the very beginning. And he doesn't forget his promises because of who he is and all that he has done. Let's pray.